Amen. Let us uh, turn then first to our confessional reading as uh, we remain in the catechism in the morning for at least a little while longer. Uh, Heidelberg Catechism, page 202 in the Smaller Forms and Prayers book. Page 202 in the Forms and Prayers. Question and answer to... And uh, we'll just be looking at one question and answer. Question and answer two. And I'll read the question. Together, let's uh, say the answer. Question two. How many things must you know to live and die in the joy of the comfort of Jesus Christ. Three, first, how great my sin and misery are. Second, how I am delivered from all my sins and misery. Third, how I am to thank God for such deliverance. That is the confession we hold in common. It's the outline of the Heidelberg Catechism. Let's Turn now to Romans chapter 1. Romans chapter 1. Um, Romans chapter 1, and we'll be looking at verses 16 and 17. Romans uh, chapter 1, this is uh, page 1,194 in the Blue ESV Bibles. We'll be reading these two verses from Romans 1, beginning at verse 16. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. So far, the reading. The grass withers, the flower fades, the word of our Lord endures forever. Well, dear congregation, why do we worship God? And you've heard me ask this fundamental question uh, before. Why would we be grateful to serve God? Well, as we think about fundamental questions like this, we can go all the way back to creation. God is our very maker. We exist because he made us. We draw breath because he continues to sustain us. And so, we should worship God because our existence is completely dependent upon God. But for the believer, as we think about our motivation, as we think about our driving force, as we think about the, uh, the engine that should drive us to worship God, praise God, serve God, it goes beyond the fact that God is our maker and creator. It goes to the fact that he is also our savior. We are saved by God. 
That is the gospel. That is the good news. Not that we save ourselves, that we are saved by God. And that good news is our driving force. It's our motivation. We should be motivated by gospel power. Or as we stated for our theme this morning, the gospel is the believer's driving force. And then we'll consider this with three points. The place for shame, the power for deliverance, and the purpose for righteousness. Well, we begin, brothers and sisters, with the place for shame. And as we come to Romans 1, verse 16 and 17, uh, we come to uh, the, the first words of the, of the body of the letter to the Romans. The introductory remarks uh, conclude in verse 15, uh, remarks about travel, about wanting to see them face to face and other introductory things. Uh, verses 16 and 17 begin the, the heart of the message of the book. And so many have called these two verses the theme of the book of Romans. And uh, often we, we think of a theme as something that we would state in the positive, but the Apostle Paul begins with a negative. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God. Now why, why begin with a negative? Why can't we just say it in the positive? I glory in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Well, brothers and sisters, Sadly, this is a negative that we have to state because it's a negative that we have to battle against. Uh, as uh, one commentator once put it, by, by starting the theme with this negative statement, the apostle is making, quote, a sober recognition of the fact that the gospel is something of which in this world Christians will constantly be tempted to be ashamed end of quote. Or just say it this way, we, we have to say it in the negative because we have to fight against this negative. As glorious as the gospel is, in our weakness, we're always tempted to be ashamed of it. We're always tempted to turn away from it. We're always tempted to not glory as we ought to. Uh, and in contrast to this, uh, we have to fight against the the kind of shame that that uh, we would that we would more naturally not have. Now that's too much of a negative. What what am I saying there? I'm just saying naturally, instead of not being ashamed of the gospel, naturally we are not ashamed of sin. We, we need to learn to reverse this. We need to learn to have the proper place of shame. And uh, this, is, uh, this is precisely how the prophets speak. Uh, as we come to our third point, uh, we'll see that the Apostle Paul quotes from Habakkuk, one of the prophets at the, at the time leading up to the exile. Uh, let's consider a couple of words from other prophets at that time. Please turn with me to Jeremiah chapter 8. Uh, Jeremiah chapter 8, I'm going to read verses 11 and 12. And this is the language of the wrong kind of shame. The wrong kind of, of, of lack of shame. Jeremiah chapter 8, verses 11 and 12. 
And the prophet Jeremiah is describing why judgment is going to be coming upon Jerusalem. And he speaks about especially the false prophets and priests from verse 10. He speaks about them in, in this way. Jeremiah 8 beginning at verse 11. They have healed the wound of my people lightly, saying, peace, peace, when there is no peace. Were they ashamed when they committed abominations? No, they were not at all ashamed. They did not know how to blush. Therefore, they shall fall among the fallen. When I punish them, they shall be overthrown, says the Lord. In contrast to this, Ezekiel describes the attitude of the few righteous who were in Jerusalem, those whom in, in the vision of Ezekiel 9, the, the angel would mark for protection. And the ones to be marked for protection in the city are described in Ezekiel 9, verse 4, this way. They were the ones who sigh and groan over the abominations that are committed in Jerusalem. It is, it is so easy to forget to blush over and to fail to groan over the abominations of the land. Uh, I have perhaps used this illustration some time ago. To, to me, it was, it was, it was just a, a striking picture of it. Uh, but about 10 years ago, there was a, there was a round table of, of uh, I think it was eight famous actresses from Hollywood. And uh, one of the younger actresses spoke about having some discomfort, having some shame at some of the things that she was asked to do on screen as a young actress, and especially, you know, if she had a married co-star. You know what the response of the round table was? A joke and laugh at her. Well, well what was that? It was a room full of women who had forgotten how to blush, who made jokes to laugh about and cover over their own participation in the debauchery of Hollywood. Now, if we take entertainment into our own homes and if we have a TV in our living room into our own living room, and if we fail to be ashamed, and if we fail to groan over the abominations, and if we fail to actively uh, censor out the shameful things of this world, then what are we doing? We're, we're participating in that lack of shame. We're, we're failing to put shame where it should be. We're failing to be ashamed of sin. Now, brothers and sisters, we, we are called to groan over and sigh over all of the abominations that are committed. We, we must uh, not laugh over sin. We, we must not have our consciences dulled by the 
constant attempts of our world in all kinds of ways to, to break down the value of holiness. No, we, we need to be ashamed of, of shameful things. We need to be ashamed of sin. And we must not be ashamed of the gospel. The good news that you and I and everyone else, we are all sinners. We are saved by Jesus Christ. We are saved by Jesus Christ. We must not be afraid of the gospel. We must delight to speak it, to hear it, to dwell upon it. May the gospel be our driving force. May the gospel be what we glory in. May the gospel be what we are not ashamed of. And now let's come, brothers and sisters, to our second point. Because the apostle tells us why we should not be ashamed of the gospel. For it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. Uh, now we're, we're largely going to follow the 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 three parts of our question and answer for our outline this morning. But it's especially this second point. That's, that's especially what's going on here in Romans 1, 16 and 17. It is, it is a very much the gospel theme of Romans focused upon God's own power for salvation to deliver us from our sins. How am I delivered from all my sins and misery? That's the second thing of, of, of three critical things we must know as the catechism says it. And the short answer is this, because we are delivered by the power of God. The power of God for deliverance to all those who believe. Uh, believe in what? Well, the Apostle Paul doesn't actually state it here. Uh, and that's fairly common in the book of Romans. Uh, uh, quite often he just says believe and he doesn't specify believe in what. Uh, uh, our, our high school catechism students know I talk about the Sunday school answer. Uh, you know, sometimes the answer is still Jesus Christ. Well, sometimes it's, it's just assumed. The apostle doesn't even have to say it. He just says believe. Believe in what? Believe in Jesus Christ. Believe in whom? That's what it is. Uh, and so he doesn't even specify, he doesn't even give the object of our believing in Romans 1.16, which is common for Paul in Romans. He does spell it out when he restates his theme in Romans 3, verses 21 and 22, if you turn over just a page. But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. And faith and belief are, are, are just uh, two different ways to, to speak about the same uh, Greek word. So here we have the object. Faith in, believe in Jesus Christ. And then that verse ends uh, with the same direction that, uh, that the rest of Romans 1.16 goes in. And uh, for there is no distinction. For there is no distinction. Now, it's stated a little bit differently in Romans 1, the end of verse 16. There, there's, there is this recognition of no distinction to everyone who believes, but there's also a certain ordering given to the Jew first and also to the Greek. And, uh, and so what is it? Is there no distinction at all? Is there some kind of distinction? Well, you have to say there's some kind of distinction, but it's not... Uh, it's, not a, it's not a fundamental one. It's not one of essence. 
In essence, the gospel is for everyone who believes. Whatever tribe, whatever tongue, uh, whatever the shape of your past sins, because we're all sinners, the only difference is how those sins have taken shape. Uh, The gospel is for everyone who believes. And the power of God for salvation delivers everyone who believes. So what way do we speak about the Jew being first and the Greek being second? Well, at least a couple of ways. Uh, First, just a matter of of simple uh, chronology of the New Testament church. Where does the New Testament church begin? It begins in the day of Pentecost in Jerusalem to the Jews who were gathered there for the Pentecost feast. Uh, And then uh, we could also speak about uh, the fact that they had the scriptures in a special way. And so we could look back at Romans uh, 1, uh, verse, uh, the end of verse 1 into verse 2, uh, set apart for the gospel of God, which he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures. Well, who especially had that word as it was promised beforehand? Well, the Jews. And so there's at least a couple of ways that we can speak about the Jews being first. But finally, uh, there, is, there is no distinction. The power of the gospel delivers everyone who believes. There is no there is no human thing that can stand against the power of the gospel. And so I'm not delivered by my own gospel power. And when I would speak the gospel without being ashamed. It's not the power of my own persuasion or the power of my own gospel presentation that delivers those who would hear me. No, the power for salvation is always rested upon God himself. I can't save myself. I can't save my hearers. We are saved. We are delivered by God's gospel Power accomplished through the sending of his son Jesus Christ, who died once and for all to deliver from sin. We are all sinners who need to be delivered from our misery, and everyone who believes is a sinner set free by the power of God for salvation. Well, now let's come to our third. Point, the purpose for righteousness. And now the language of verse 17 continues to keep the focus upon the saving work of God. Uh, it is through the gospel that the righteousness of God is revealed. It's not our own righteousness. It's God's own power. It's God's own righteousness. Uh, and then there is, there is an emphasis upon faith, including this unusual phrase, from faith to faith, or from faith to for faith, and it's translated in a number of different ways. What's going on there? It's an unusual phrase in the English. It's also a pretty unusual phrase in the Greek. Um, but uh, remember, they didn't have bold, they didn't have underlined, they didn't have italics. Uh, it's and so the ancient languages to repeat a word in various ways was a way to emphasize the word. So even though it's an unusual phrase, it's probably just emphasizing faith. Uh, And so we might paraphrase it, 
by faith alone, uh, in Christ alone, if we consider the context. Uh, And so from faith to faith, this emphasis upon faith is, is needed. Faith again, which is in Jesus Christ, as we spoke of before, and then the uh, and then the apostle uh, speaks about how it's for living or dying. Well, how did we how did we get there? Well, that's truth that the gospel is for life or death. Well, that's it's a big part of the language of Lord's Day One. Of course, that's how question and answer the answer. Number one begins, that I'm not my own, but belong body and soul in life and in death to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. And we see that in the question for question two. How many things must you know to live and die in the joy of this comfort? All right, how does this relate to our text? How is the apostle speaking about life or death in verse 17? It's through the context of his support text. Where does it say, where is it written, the righteous shall live by faith? It's Habakkuk chapter 2, verse 4. It's the call for what Habakkuk is to preach to those who just heard what he said in Habakkuk chapter 1, that the ruthless Babylonians are coming to wipe you out because the few righteous are surrounded by the wicked. In other words, and this is borne out, Habakkuk realizes this, his song at the end of Habakkuk chapter 3, in other words, the first statement that the righteous shall live by faith is written into a context of you're going to die at the hands of the Babylonians. How are you going to live? You're going to live by faith. And so the life or death message of the gospel is appealed to by Apostle Paul taking us back to the language, the message of the prophet Habakkuk to be preached to those facing death at the hands of the Babylonians. In other words, the just shall live by faith. It's it's about spiritual life. It's about spiritual salvation. And that's that's how the Apostle Paul speaks about salvation. You know, we we use the word saved in uh, in a number of different ways. You know, we we talk about you know saving food for later. We we just we it's a it's a word that we use in a number of different ways, right? We don't always talk about our soul being saved when we use that word. And in most of the Bible, that's how the word saved is used. I think uh, R.C. Sproul once said that the word Savior is used 70 different ways in the Bible. Well, the Apostle Paul, he, uh, he narrows the focus down for us. Every single time in the New Testament letters of Paul that we see the word salvation, he's talking about the salvation of our souls. He narrows the focus down. He is, he is entirely focused on, on the spiritual truths. So when he says the just shall live by faith, he's, he's appealing back to a prophet who's not speaking about physical life, physical deliverance. No, the, he's talking about 
He's talking about living though there's no cattle in the stalls. The end of Habakkuk 3. He's talking about living in the face of death at the hands of the Babylonians. This is life or death faith. This is the power of God for salvation. Comfort in life and in death. Surely then, as we would live, we must be motivated to live for God. Now, we're going a little bit beyond the immediate focus of Romans 1, 16 and 17, but we've been following closely enough the 1, 2, 3 of question and answer 2 that we'll speak about this briefly. How am I to thank God for such deliverance? And surely as Paul continues in Romans, he'll, he'll move on to, to that So we might consider how he answers objections in Romans chapter 6, beginning at verse 1 in Romans 6. He says, what shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? We're speaking so much about the power of God for salvation. It's not what we do that the objection is going to come up. Well, then do we just sin so that grace may be abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Romans 6 verse 2, or summarizing it in Romans 6 verse 13, do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. Then answering uh, objections in Romans 6 uh, from Romans 12 onwards, uh, he's especially detailing how we live out our spiritual worship because of what God has done for us by his mercies. Uh, And so the outline of the catechism, which is what question and answer two is, it's the outline for all the rest that follows, is generally following the outline of the very uh, letter to the Romans. And so the order, uh, the order, brothers and sisters, is critical. The third thing must be the third thing. If we move up our own obedience, if we move up our own seeking to keep the will of God, and if we move that up the order and make it first, well, then there's no longer good news because then it depends upon our, our own good works. But as we, we keep it where it is, we live as those who are driven by gospel power. We're driven by the gospel. We're driven by the fact that we have been saved by God. And then we can go forth. And in our stumblings, we're not lost because when we stumble, we don't lose our salvation No, our our living is is just the gratitude we have for the salvation which has already been purchased. And uh, again, we're looking a little bit beyond Romans uh, 1, 16, and 17. But we have the outline of the catechism. We have the theme for the whole book of Romans. And so it's appropriate to think about this proper order. Our obedience is not works-driven. Our obedience is gratitude-driven. I will do good works because God has saved me by his own power for salvation. This, brothers and sisters, is the good news. 
Let us go forth driven by gospel power. Amen. Let us pray. Lord God Almighty, teach us the proper place of shame. And in the shameful confession...